Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 9th, 2017. I hope you're all enjoying some decent weather for a change in North America, at least because we've had an awful lot of rain up where I am in northern Ontario. And this last week or so has been too bad, although the spraying's gone on, of course, and you'll see them doing it. It's amazing, too, when they, they stop the spraying completely, you'll see jets going up there way up high, and very little actual condensation trail behind them, as opposed to chemtrail, or else none at all. Isn't that amazing, eh? Isn't that amazing? The rest of the year, of course, is just horizon to horizon, non-stop, with a whole bunch of them going at the same time. And that is, of course, the, the normal nowadays, as we've been trained, that none of it exists. We do live in quite a fantasy, though, don't we? Because we're, there's never been a time where we're so bombarded with propaganda from all sources. And all, that, that really, when you think about it, you can't go anywhere without getting bombarded with propaganda. And some of the sci-fi movies have had ads that would appear in mid-air as you were flying through them, things like that. And it's pretty well coming because they don't give you a minute's peace. You've got to get your downloads of propaganda, the real Big Brother stuff, because we're in a scientific age of scientific control, including control of the mind, of course. It is quite fascinating to, to, to live through it and be aware that it's happening and watch it all and study it as they study us. Because, you see, the, the leaders of the world and all of the academia that's on board with them and all the professors galore and behaviorism and so on, and plus all the medicals at the very top, too, who are watching us change physically by <laughs> what we're forced to eat, unfortunately, they call it food. It's fascinating, really, to watch it all happening. And and what really is, too, I think, is, is that most of us, live a good part of our life thinking you'll never die. And then eventually it hits you one day, you're, you're going to die as you get older. And then you think, well, it'll probably be pretty soon, but then the years drag on and you're still alive. And it's then you can sit back and say, well, I guess I can watch what's happening and be critical of things, really think about things critically, analyze it all, etc. because I'll be here for quite a while yet. That's, that's what you eventually come to realize. So there's no real escape from this system, apart from feet first, basically. And we're in it for the long, long haul. The future's always planned. And there's never been a time, never been a time, when so much of everything to do with all of us has been completely planned and organized in such a, an incredibly minute and detailed structural system worldwide that uh, you can't help but trip over everywhere you look. Sustainability and all that kind of stuff. It's all to do with the, the old green idea, the Green Party, that was cooked up in uh, the Soviet system by a relative of Madeleine Albright, by the way, and, and a few other people too that are well known, where they, they actually said, like Gorbachev said too, they would create a form of green religion an earth worship of a sort. And unfortunately, they've been at it so long now. It only takes 20 years to brainwash really a new generation into this all being normal, where you can't make a move or, or do anything at all without uh, sudden experts that didn't exist before approaching you and demanding fees to do eco-studies and, and all that kind of stuff before you can even put something in your garden. It's fascinating, really.
And then you have the whole movement to get you all off the road, according to Agenda 21, under the guise, though, it's beautiful, right? under the guise of climate change. Everything is under the guise of climate change. And I've done so many talks over the years that I'm not going to go into it all again in detail, but you can go into the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com because I have I've followed this from, from early days and put out so many reports from early days too that it's, it's quite fascinating when you string it all together to watch the, the massive movement that the big boys that wanted a world communistic system they came up with the idea to use the environment, etc., to, to get the same thing through on behalf of the multi-trillionaires at the top. You understand the system at the top of environmentalism and communism are multi-trillionaires. The, the, top, the top international money lenders, etc., etc., the World Bank, the IMF, it's all to do with total control of the whole planet. And for the majority of the public, is to be a socialistic, communistic-type collectivist system where you're, where you're run from birth to death with all these different experts running your lives for you. Again, I won't go through it all again. It's monotonous to me. But, but at the top, you definitely have academia working on behalf of their masters. Quite happily, I might add, too, because they're getting paid awfully, awfully well to do us all in and put us all into slavery. That, that's the sad thing about the system of humanity. It doesn't matter what era you look at at all. You've always had the henchmen. They're just thugs and brutes that are told to go and you know, plunder the cottagers and steal all their cattle for the king, whoever it happens to be, for taxes, or kick them all out the land, off the land altogether like they did in Scotland. Actually, they created a genocide in Scotland. And believe you me, it was a genocide, and very deliberate too, after the 1745 rebellion. And they used it as an excuse to clear the, most of the Highlands out, actually, even though there was only, only a small group were involved in the actual rebellion itself. But uh, that's the history of the world. Brute force, the wealthy, and the wealthy never have a problem recruiting thugs, no matter what you want to call them, folks, <laughs> to do their, their bidding for them. Put a uniform on them, put a, or put a feather on their cap, whatever it happens to be, and away they go quite happily. And they'll, they'll kill their own people even to get a, a decent paycheck. They don't care. Today, there's far more of them in, in uh, different branches of government and different agencies affiliated with government. That's the beauty of it now, too. Public-private partnerships, etc. You, you've seen a whole way of life, uh, all planned, and you have no, had no say in the whole matter, or any of the matter at all, in fact. Maurice Strong, remember, was a guy, the big, big United Nations frontman, to help put a lot of this together, although he, there was massive teams working with him to do it all. He couldn't sit there and write thousands of pages, for goodness sake. Of course not. They have lawyers working on this stuff for years and years and years. And then they present it to the public and then they sign it. And we don't sign anything as, as members of the public. And the politicians quite happily sign it into basically agreements, they call it. And sometimes they'll try and confuse it and say it's actually law. But well, which is it? Which is it actually? Since these kind of agreements don't go through parliaments or, or governments, that's why they call it agreements. And yet we we'll have to change our lives to go along with what essentially has been created to be to the, for the public, not for the elite who own it all, but for the public, a green religion. It's a religion, folks. 
where you won't mind getting plundered and, and your money taken off you or getting shoved into cities and your, your few pennies being uh, scattered across the world to supposedly help third world countries, which is a lot of nonsense, as you well know. It's for total control of the planet and everybody and everything in the planet. You know that. That's what it's all about. You find so much from the early days of the, uh, of the eugenicist societies and they were rather blatant about total control of the world. Charles Galton Darwin was one of the best in that regard because he did write The Next Million Years, the book out, outlaying basically the plan in a tongue-in-cheek sort of way about depopulating the wrong kinds of people who might breed and so on and who were breeding and what must be done with them, etc. And a lot of the helpers in this system <laughs> really are not going to get into the next system either. Uh, it's quite interesting because Julian Huxley, again, you, all related, by the way, they were related to the, the Huxleys and the Darwins and, and the Wedgwood Bens and all the rest of them, all related. It's quite interesting to see that Julian Huxley, who was at the UNESCO, the head of UNESCO, and Planned Parenthood too, when it started up with Sanger, he was quite blatant about it, that many people who would help them get achieve their goals would expect to be given the pat on the head and brought in to the, 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 the saved elite higher up, you see. But he said, and they won't be, they'll be, they'll be in for a shock. So they're very critical about the types who are going to get in and come through into the new age, as I like to call it, into the new system and so on. The plan society is all around you today. And it's all done by deception, doublespeak, and, and blatant lies. <laughs> Mind you, a lot of money passes around amongst the people involved. An awful lot of money, because it's all your money. It's your tax money, and there seems to be no end to that. It's astonishing, isn't it? And they'll, they'll get their, their lovely little world of people who will do whatever they're told, and they'll be trained to do so. Many of them already are. It's quite astonishing. And they're trained not to participate or be involved, or even to, to, to be involved to the extent of objecting to anything, heaven forbid, eh? That's how they've been trained. Go along with everything. And again, too, what's amazing, with many of the totalitarian media organizations, because they are totalitarian. We know that they're all, I've done, again, so many talks about the, 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 the propaganda and the media gone way back, way back, 100 years or so. And the meetings they actually had with big moguls to be on board with each other and how they would manage public opinion, etc. And it's just astonishing how they've trained the public of what good is. This is what good is. Here's what bad is. Oh, people who think this is are bad. It's, very, it's so simple. It's such a simple technique. Very matriarchal, by the way. That's like CBC Canada, and you listen to them. So many of the, the voices are, are women who are matriarchal, and, and oh, they, can, they, can, they can give you a little, a little psychic pat on the head if you're good and go along with certain topics in the way that they want you to go. But you, you'll hear callers phone in occasionally with a different opinion, and they, they're disapproving. Oh, they're disapproving, like a teacher at school. It's quite amazing to, to watch all this, but very simple, and it works terribly well, as we all know. When you look back a long ways, you'll find that the group that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, same thing. 
and they also have their group for the whole of the European Union as well, for all their parliamentarians. Uh, they, they set up the Council for Pacific Relations too, to create a, uh, another trading block there a long, long time ago in preparation for a three main block, trading block world. And you're li- you've been living through it, so were your parents, without knowing it. That's nothing, nothing, everything that happened actually in the last hundred years was done by this particular group. They have all the top media moguls in their pocket, of course, they're all members. And their whole goal was always world government. Although they like to call it governance today, it sounds better than government. We make, somebody might wake up if you say government, world government. So that governance sounds kind of vague and, well, you know, you know iffy, and that's how they, they do it. Psycho- basic, simple psychology. But they've worked so hard for a long time to get world government through. And we know that Carl Quigley, who was a historian for them at one point, because they have their own version of history, very important, because they tell you the, they fill in all the little blank bits that, that the general history books omit. And they make sure they omit them because their members also write your history for you, the ones that you're going to get taught in school. But they, they admit that they were behind world wars to get countries to their knees in order to, to make them give up their sovereignty. Now, these guys who ran this were not what you would think of as a simple communist, by the way. They were multi-billionaires in their own right. If you go back a hundred years, even a million dollars or pounds was a lot of money, an awful lot of money, because they constantly devalue the currency all the time as they print more and more paper up. But you'll find that Lord Alfred Milner and his cronies and their descendants still run the inner group today across the whole planet. And as Carl Quigley said, that this group operates, and he was a member, remember, and a historian, he says this group operates, he says, the way that most people think that the communists do, because they have so much in common. You think a lot of their goals are the same, actually, but it's really to make their own elite responsible in governing positions across the whole planet. And they're going to run you in a kind of communistic, socialist setting from birth to death down below, which is the majority of the public. That's what it's about. Well, they themselves live like kings, actually higher than kings, because the... What they can get today with their money through science and so on is so incredibly different from what it used to be. But anyway, that's the world we're in right now. And the push is really, really on. As quickly said, he said that he agreed with all of their plans. He disagreed with some of their methods, that was all, of how to achieve it, those particular goals. But he was on board with it all. He said, we don't, we don't care who we bring on board, communists, fascists, whatever. He says, all kinds in, uh, who are members of this particular group. And they have another branch that, the, of guys who really do the technocratic work across the world. And that's, the, that, that's basically the, the trilateral group. And the trilateral committee is made up of members of the CFR. And they have a specialized task to perform. Hard to believe for most folk that a group have been operating and controlling the minds of people through all the publications that they own, uh, writing all the books that you get taught in, in school, university, etc., etc. 
and at the same time they have their members appointed to across the world in top positions, from even presidents and prime ministers all the way down. In fact, all the, I should say all the way up, because there's people above your prime ministers and presidents, as you well know. Of course, there's course there happen to be. But anyway, they know what they want, and they're going to use all kinds of cons to bring it about. And we'll touch on some of that again tonight. But we're really going through it now as they push for sustainability. That's, that's the buzzword for, for the present. It means that they've got to, you've got to cut back on everything post-industrial, post-consumerist society, into austerity, and away you go. That's what it's really all about, folks. Everything will be rationed, but you'll pay a lot more for the little bits of everything you get, including your energy, a la technocracy. Now, you'll find that the IMF and the World Bank are meeting, basically, and putting out all their information for this particular G20 summit that's on this week. They've already put out their agenda for them all to follow. And remember, the World Bank was also set up by the same group, Royal Street for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, a long time ago, same with uh, the IMF. These are all private groups, mind you, private uh, corporations inside this group to run the finances of the entire planet. And not to help people either, by the way. They don't go out giving out charity money, except to each other. But they, they certainly do give out loans, and they, they demand their pound of flesh, big pounds of flesh, actually, in return. It's not some kind of charitable organization by any means. And if they have uh, shortfalls and anything, they've got it worked out that the taxpayers of the world can just have to fork out the money to, to bail them out and stuff like that. It's quite amazing, isn't it, eh? But anyway, here's what they put out. It says the economic well-being of billions of people depends on trade. And deeper trade integration, that means all their free trade deals, they want it all ran through. And twinned with supportive domestic policies can help boost incomes, etc. All, all this, you know, heaven and earth sort of stuff. And accelerate global growth, which is nonsense because they don't want global growth. And it calls for decisive actions by the world leaders gathering for the G20 summit this week. Now, the G20, all these Gs, these, group, these groups of this and groups of eight and groups of 20 and so on, are all your politicians that, that have sold you all out because they never asked the people's permission of any country to form these little groups in the first place. They would just happen to get formed by, again, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council of Foreign Relations. The same people who brought you your free trade agreements. And the Parliament for Europe. And says, the good news is that when it comes to trade, we do not need to choose between inclusiveness and economic growth. And then they go and give you more propaganda. This is a PDF, by the way, and you can read it for yourselves because it's all terrible propaganda. I know what their agenda is. So can you too, if you look into it. It's not. It's not difficult to find out. And also to WTO, IMF, and World Bank, they urge the G20 leaders to support trade. Now, it's not just trade. It's, again, it's the free trade. It's the signing of all the, all the different integrations of, of, of trading blocks, etc. And also to take more of third world countries' produce into your countries, while those third world countries, under the agreements, by the way, can pollute as much as they want. They don't have to cut back on anything. And, and, uh, but they can, they can also cut your stuff from coming into their countries under the, the, the deals that are made. It's quite the deal, isn't it? So-called free trade, my you-know-what. But it says WTO Director General uh, Roberto 
as a Vedo IMF uh, Managing Director, Christine Lagarde. She's still there yet, amazing, eh? Doesn't pay a penny in tax either. And World Bank uh, President Jim Yong Kim stressed that the world leaders do not have to choose between inclusiveness and economic growth. The economic well-being of billions of people depends on trade. Deeper trade integration, integration, there you go, twinned with support of domestic policies, can help boost incomes again. Parrot, 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 same things over and over, but no actual facts there, it's just like propaganda. Because that's what it is. That's all it is. And it doesn't matter what anybody does about it, because it's so, understand that everybody who's anybody, when it comes to running your country, they're all on board with this, this con game. And you'll be paying massive carbon taxes everywhere for everything. That won't go to where you think it's supposed to go to. And then this one, too, to do with uh, what is the G20 summit and who will be attending. I'll put all these links up with articles for you to, to look up for yourselves because it's interesting to, to an extent. Uh, because uh, actually it's pretty disgusting to an extent (laughs) because these guys, all they do, and I've done talks before over years on this, they they turn up and they're massive. I I even went through the courses of meals they get when they're they're discussing austerity for all of us. It's just disgusting. People who want power are psychopaths, and that's who are all in... uh, and into these different groups and the heads of your governments and so on. They're psychopaths, folks. And, but, but psychopaths will do what they're told for their own benefit when, when, because they're not stupid altogether. But they'll sell you all down the, the river in the meantime, too. Anyway, it says the G20 comprises the 19 countries that have the world's largest economies as well as the European Union. The countries are Argentina, Australia, Brazil... Canada, China, France, Germany, India, Indonesia, Italy, Japan, Mexico, Russia, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, South Korea, Turkey, the United Kingdom, and the United States. So anyway, every year the heads of the G20 members meet to discuss a wide range of issues. Well, they don't actually. The Sherpas, who are the guys who who go out way in advance, sometimes a year, two years in advance, go around all different countries, ironing out any kind of problems for the final signing. It's all drafted up. The politicians have their big, big meals. And I won't say what else they get into, because believe me, you don't want to know. And then they sign on the dotted line, and that's it. That's it. It's all done in advance. These are just formalities you're seeing. But it says that... um, they meet to discuss a wide range of issues with a focus on economic and financial matters and coordinate policy when possible. Lower-level meetings among finance ministers and other policymakers take place in the run-up to the leaders' summit. G20 is not a permanent institution with a headquarters officer or staff. Instead, its leadership rotates on an annual basis amongst its members. Its decisions are made by consensus. Yeah, right. I love that. Who, who is consensus? Can, can we meet this person called consensus? Because it certainly doesn't just happen by itself. An implementation of its agenda, so there's an agenda, depends on the political will of the individual states. They, call, they don't call nations nations, they call them states. In 2017, the rotating G20 presidency belongs to Germany, which will host a two-day leaders' summit in Hamburg starting July 7th. 
In addition to Trump and Putin, high-profile leaders in attendance are expected to include German Chancellor Angela Merkel, Chinese President Xi Jinping, and newly elected French President Emmanuel Macron. I should call him, uh, actually call him uh, Emperor, because he, he, apparently he, he kind of sees himself like that. And Trump's aide said a week before the meeting that they had no specific agenda for the Putin talks. And the meeting comes as Trump is under domestic political pressure for alleged ties to Russia. What rubbish this is, eh? <laughs> Mind you, most of what you get is reality is rubbish today. It really honestly is. Including the counter to it as well, by the way. <laughs> the G20 initially focused largely on, on, on economic policy, but has expanded its ambits in recent years ahead of Hamburg. Merkel stressed the theme of a networked world, and the German government laid out a broad agenda. <sighs> and they want to, and what they're talking about too is harmful tax competition between countries. They want to sort of do away with that, I guess. And uh, it says the widespread use by companies and individuals of low-tax countries as tax shelters, as was dramatized by the 2016 Panama Papers leaks. The G20 is also pursuing policies, including information-sharing initiatives to combat corruption and money laundering. <laughs> what a joke, eh? What a joke. <laughs> uh, you know, most, most of the, the intelligence networks, it seems, from the U.S. and other countries, too, that are involved in Afghanistan, so are up to their, their, their eyeballs in, in opium, which gets turned into heroin. And so on. And you talk about money laundering. I can remember years ago reading <laughs> it was in the main the main papers and one of the top ones in Canada. It was something to do with a, a, one of these vague, you know, very superficial look, looking into affairs to do with the, the drug industry and, and money laundering. And it said that the, the top banks in Canada were all involved in laundering the drug, drug money, and there was so much of it going through they'd collapse. The banks would collapse if it was to stop. So there you go. And then it says, Merkel has made ties with Africa, focus of the summit. Her government has presented a compact with Africa, initiative that would uh, involve G20 nations bring private investment. Oh, come on. All private is public-private partnerships. The countries are the taxpayers fund all the work that's been done and building the factories and the private corporations end up owning all for nothing. Anyway, it says, a new business is to African states that have committed to economic reforms. Other trade and economic growth plans are also high on the agenda. Germany wants to reaffirm a global commitment to free trade and discuss how to implement the UN's 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. See, everything's tied in with the same goal of bringing you un- into utter poverty, folks. I hope you understand. I'm not kidding you about this. I'm not kidding you. You would think the Soviet Union was bad. It's way beyond, this is way beyond that when it gets going, because everything is so highly monitored today. In the Soviet Union, people had a little bit of freedom away from cameras and that, if they knew where to go. You won't be able to do any of that stuff. It's just awful. Awful. But that's what's, that's what's planned for you. But they'll make you happy to go into it. They're awfully good at that. And it says, beyond purely economic measures, Germany wants to recommit the G20 nations to meeting their carbon reduction goals. <laughs> there you go. Stop breathing. 
No more combustion engines. Oh, don't heat yourself in the winter. Oh, pack 20 folk into a room. The body heat might keep you going all winter. Think I'm kidding? Do you really think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding you. This is where it's all going to go eventually, step by step by step. I'm telling you. (laughs) These people at the top hate your guts, all of you. You're all obsolete, they claim. And they're going to control you and bring you down. They've even had their plan. I've read the articles from their own think tanks talking about the, the population reduction agendas and how by 2050, well, isn't that amazing? When you read through all these different things tonight and, and other ones too, about bringing uh, the, the, these, uh, these plans and they cut carbon step by step by step, by 2050, you will be frozen to death because that's when the populations did drastically plummet. Isn't that amazing how that all ties together? It's just coincidence, though, isn't it? And then this one here is to do with why G20 unity is crucial to Canada because, again, we've all got to be in it together and worship the, 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 the earth, supposedly, and, and give your propitiation to the earth as well by, by stopping breathing and heating yourself and, and eating and, and that kind of stuff. Die quietly, for goodness sake. Show how good you are. Eventually, one day, they'll have contests to see how, how you die well. And, and they'll give little awards to folk who, who'll be given the award just before they croak. Live on television, no doubt. Hmm. Anyway, this article here uh, gets this digs at Trump, of course, in America first and all the rest of it, and how it's against the core G20 belief. Uh, and, and it's a threat to the G20. Well, did the public ever vote for the G20? No. Mm-mm-mm. Most folk don't even know what it is Or most folk actually will think Everything that exists when, when they are born And they grow up Must be natural because it, Simply because it exists They've no idea And then this one here too Has to do with oh, This is a, a, a bit of a side You might say It's a bit of an aside To get folk arguing with each other Etc and they do that all the time. You notice that every today, even on this, what they call the alternate media, where they're supposed to be fighting this and that, it's all about who tweeted what to whom and, and what nasty things they said in their tweet and, and the replies to their tweet and all. What, what, this is incredible. It's like childish psychosis, isn't it? But some, the big powers at beer, are helping it, it get pushed across. And folk are falling right into it all. Amazing, isn't it, eh? Psychological warfare, brilliant. People just jump on board with it all the time and call each other really nasty names. That's really changing everything, isn't it? Mm. Anyway, this one here is about Canada and how a lot of folk are upset, like the Taxpayer Federation, etc. It's to do with uh, a Toronto-born man who was held at Guantanamo Bay after admitting a killing a U.S. soldier in Afghanistan when he was 15, I guess he was over there when he was 15, or he went over there, he was born in Toronto, is to receive an apology and a reported $10.5 million from the Canadian taxpayers. Compensation from the Canadian government. An agreement has been reached between the government and Ottawa and lawyers acting on behalf of Omar Kader seven years after the country's Supreme Court ruled the participation of Canadian officials 
in his Guantanamo interrogation, offends the most basic Canadian standards about the treatment of detained youth suspects. Settlement brings an end a legal battle which began in 2004 with Mr. Carr's lawyers, Dennis Edney and John Phillips, accused Canada of failing to protect one of its own citizens and conspiring with the U.S. So he was only 15 when he was captured by U.S. forces following fighting at an Al-Qaeda compound during which an American soldier, Sergeant Christopher Spear, was killed in July 2002. Despite thousands of U.S. soldiers having died in Afghanistan, Mr. Kader was the only captive to be charged with murder under the Military Commissions Act, which was passed after the September 11 attacks on the USA. Until then, killing a soldier in a war zone was not regarded as a criminal offence. Mr. Kader pleaded guilty in 2010 under a deal which allowed him to return to Canada to complete his sentence, but his case as a boy soldier became an international cause. His lawyers argued that he had been co-opted into fighting for al-Qaeda by his father, Ahmed Said Kader, who was friendly with Osama bin Laden. Anyway, he, he, he killed some women, and now he gets rewarded for it by Canadians. <laughs> I'll put that up anyway to show you that if you really think that your government's got anybody's best interest at heart, come on, come on, folks. And then this one to do again, right back on track with with the sustainability and internationalism, etc., etc., and to do with the, the carbon taxes and all that. I mean, this is going to be this is going to bring in raking trillions of dollars per week into the, the the few top banks, the top banks, private ones, by the way, like family banks. All these carbon taxes now have to go through, so they've got to get it done. And there'll be a lot, of, a lot of payoffs to all the big wigs and politicians. You know that. You know that. But when look look at how much money uh, that the, the, the presidents in the U.S. get after they leave, when when they get like half a million dollars for giving a twenty-minute speech. Come on, that's a payoff. That's what you call payoffs. But it happens across the world in all countries too, of course. You know that. Uh, but anyway, it says here, mayors are uniquely positioned to help the U.S. rise above divisive tribalism. It's now tribalism. Hmm? Since the last global financial crisis that uprooted social and economic arrangements, former President Bill Clinton told the U.S. Conference of Mayors, 85th annual meeting on Saturday. And so this is Bill Clinton. Being closer to the people they represent means mayors are less likely to engage in political rhetoric. And he goes on and on and on about the usual playing on statistics, nonsense and stuff like that. And then uh, calling cities the laboratories of democracy, Clinton outlined several challenges they must face. The opioid epidemic, climate change, aging infrastructure and inequality. Uh, climate change. They put climate change in everything. I mean, the weather is always changing. Rains one day, it's warm the next. And so, yeah, it's always been like that, yeah. Anyway, opioid abuse touches almost everyone, he said, and is unique. And <laughs> I can't laugh to Bill Clinton had the reddest nose I ever saw. <laughs> anyway, he says, and is unique in that addiction rates are higher in rural America. That it hit white Americans harder than African Americans or Latinos has earned the crisis national attention, as it has the fact that the, the crisis has been blamed on doctors, pharmacists, and drug manufacturers. 
there's a massive distribution nationwide network. You know that. We've done talks on this years ago on the big agencies, government agencies that bring all the drugs in. You know this. You know all this stuff. Hmm? Bill Clinton knows it too. Anyway, drug treatment and mental health facilities remain unavailable in rural areas. That's all they need is mental health. They made sure that this stuff is hit everywhere in little rural areas. There was, there was a big planning that went into all this stuff. Remember, drugs is just a way to take you all down. And it says, we have a chance to deal with this in a comprehensive way, Clinton told the mayors, and we are not close. And he's, Clinton applauded the efforts by many U.S. city halls to, to embrace the Paris Climate Agreement, as Trump has abandoned it. But cautioned words mean little without action because the water is going to keep rising. Really? Really? What a joke. Pisper has more than 13,000 clean energy jobs, yada, 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 yada. That always give you this nonsense. Rooftop gardens are becoming a local industry in New York City. So is repairing the roofs when they collapse of the way. But anyway... It goes on and on and on with the usual rub. It's all propaganda, isn't it? Isn't it terrible propaganda? But again, they are going around. You understand the work they went in for years, 20 or 30 years. Oh, um, think global, act local, etc., etc., to make sure that, that, that all national democracy would be bypassed completely by these private Groups, folks, private groups that you do not vote in and who are running your life right now. Isn't that something? And then here's one, for instance, this is how your local government can support the Paris Agreement. And this is from the ICLEI, which I've mentioned before. And this private organization, this grafted itself onto all your local councils and so on. I did talks years ago on this stuff. Since the national government of the U.S. has walked away from international climate action by announcing its intention to withdraw from the Paris Agreement, ICLEI and its network has not. And it says they've got all these different... This is all from the United Nations groups to the private groups, like Maurice Strong uh, helped set up the Rio uh, conference and so on, and the conventions, and the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, and so on, biodiversity agreement and the convention on desertification, etc., etc. So this article goes on about uh, it twaddles on about all the nonsense, and they mention the global covenant of mayors for climate and energy platforms such as a carbon climate registry, carbon climate registry. Can you believe that? Hmm. Our job as leading local government network will be to support cities and regions all over the country to keep the momentum towards a low-carbon and resilient urban future for the U.S. and the world. Wow. Well, I'll tell you one thing. All these these well, characters, let's just be fairly polite, they're involved in all this. Believe you me, they'll have no problem heating themselves because they'll get all their little exemptions for themselves and the big bucks that they can pay everything up, no problem. Or they'll just put it on their tab, and the taxpayer will pay for it all for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the ICLEI, as I've just mentioned, is Local Governments for Sustainability, founded in 1990 as the International Council for Local Environmental Initiative. 
It's an international association of local governments and national and regional local government organisations that have made a commitment to sustainable development. Well, everybody needs their little hobby or religion to follow, but I personally am not on board with this particular religion. That's what it is. That's what Gorbachev said, you know. He said, yes, he says, we are in the process of creating a new world religion. And it will be formed in a form, in a form of earth worship. That's what will manifest. Well, that's what he was talking about. It's all happened, hasn't it? Now, the, the organization says it's established when more than 200 local governments from 43 countries convened at its inaugural conference, the World Congress of Local Governments for Sustainable Future at the United Nations. Well, I don't vote for the United Nations, do you? So why is it ruling your life? All your lives. Why is it? And your whole future. Minutely, with all of the organizations under its umbrella, mainly, most of which are private, by the way. Although a lot of them get taxpayer funding on top of all their big money from foundations. The Compact of Mayors, is, and this is another one, is a, a global coalition of city leaders addressing climate change by pledging to cut greenhouse gas emissions and prepare for the future. Well, they're always talking about CO2. Most of the greenhouse gas emission is actually water vapor, as you're all aware. And if you cut that, believe you me, you'll be in trouble. And cut CO2, you'll be in trouble as well. But it goes on about who helped form this uh, compact of Mayor Ban Ki-moon, United Nations Secretary General, and Mayor Michael Bloomberg. It's amazing all these petty emperors, because they're rich now, they, they, they've got the right to rule us all. Well, I don't go along with that. How about you? How about you? Huh? You better grab your rights now, because believe you me, they're really disappearing fast. And all these front people for the big agenda that you think you elect, who are going along with it all, you better tell them to. You better really tell them, because you're going to go into one heck of a Orwellian nightmare here. And it's already happening in some countries, with government agencies popping into folks' homes, want to examine their children, make sure they've got the right opinions and everything, from a very early age, etc., etc., etc. You better really get a grip on it all, because it's coming down fast. Another article, bombshell study temperature adjustments, because they're always fudging the temperatures, as you well know, because they they got it because it isn't warming. The adjustments account for nearly all of the warming. This is temperature adjustments that they've done in government climate data. A new study found adjustments made to global surface temperature readings by scientists in recent years are totally inconsistent with published and credible U.S. and other temperature data. In other words, they're inconsistent with the facts. Thus, it's impossible to conclude from the three published GAST datasets that recent years have been the warmest ever. That's what they keep claiming. Despite current claims of record-setting warming, according to a study published June 27 by two scientists and a veterinarian statistician, (laughs) the peer-reviewed study tried to validate current surface temperatures data sets managed by NASA, NOAA, and the UK's Met Office, all of which make adjustments to raw thermometer readings. Skeptics of man-made global warming have criticized the adjustments. Climate scientists often apply adjustments to surface temperature thermometers to account for 
biases in the, d- the data. The new study doesn't question the adjustments themselves, but notes nearly all of them increased the warming trend. <laughs> it's just coincidence, eh? <laughs> Basically, a cyclical pattern in the early reported data has very nearly been adjusted out of temperatures readings taken for weather stations, buoys, uh, ships, and other sources. In fact, almost all the surface temperature warming adjustments cool past temperatures and warm more current records, increasing the warming trend, according to the study's authors. And the law, you know, of, of basically averages and, and so on, half of these adjustments should at least come down one side or the other, but they all come down on, on making it appear warmer. <laughs> but just coincidence, eh? <laughs> It's amazing when your bread and butter really depends on the findings. Uh, in a big way, uh, the, the, it just happens to fall in uh, the way that your bosses want. You know? And then this article here, DICED, the United Nations Environmental Constitution for the World. You better understand this. And it says, uh, I'm sure there are many Americans who have no idea nor care what the draft International Covenant on Environmental and Development, called DICED, is. They should. The draft covenant is the environmental constitution of global governance. Hmm? And I'll put links up for that too, and a PDF, by the way, as well. The first version of the covenant was presented to the United Nations in 1995 on the occasion of its 50th anniversary. It was hoped that it would become a negotiating document for a global treaty on environmental conservation and sustainable development. The fourth version of the covenant issued September 22, 2010, was written to control all development tied to the environment, the highest form of law for all human activity. The covenant's 79 articles, described in great detail in 242 pages, take sustainable development principles described in Agenda 21 and transform them into global law, which supersedes all constitutions, including the U.S. Constitution. I hope you're all listening. All signatory nations, including the U.S., would become centrally planned socialist countries in which all decisions would be made within the framework of sustainable development. And that is a fact. No matter how ridiculous it will be, oh, we'll have to apply that to sustainable development before we can get back to you or you can put that fence up or whatever it happens to be. Or grow that potato in your garden. In collaboration with the Earth Charter, that was Maurice Strong again, and the Elizabeth Hobb Foundation for Environmental Policy and Law from Canada, the covenant was issued by the International Council of Environmental Law, ICEL, in Bonn, Germany and the International Union for Conservation of Nature, with offices in, in Gland, Switzerland, and Cambridge, UK. Federal agencies that are members of the International Union for Conservation of Nature, IUCN, include U.S. Department of State, Commerce, Agriculture, Forest Services, Interior, Fish and Wildlife, National Park Service, and Environmental Protection Agency. The same agencies are members of the White House Rural Council and the newly established White House Council on Strong Cities, Strong Communities. That was under Executive Order March 15, 2012. The draft covenant is a blueprint to create an agreed single set of fundamental principles like a code of conduct used in many civil law, socialist and theocratic traditions which may guide states, intergovernmental organizations and individuals. 
They call it this a living document, a blueprint that will be adopted by all members of the United Nations. They say that global partnership is necessary to achieve sustainable development by focusing on social and economic pillars. The writers are very careful to avoid the phrase one world government. Proper governance is necessary on all levels, from the local to the global. So they always use governance. And this goes on and on and on. It's a good article. It's, it's a quite a long one. And it's, I prefer it long. I prefer to know more and more details. And they've got so much in here. It's interesting for those who care. Most folk don't today. I think they've been trained, as the communists said a long time ago, the perfect socialist or, or communist citizen would be trained to simply accept that better minds, better people are managing their lives on their behalf. Or you can always take the Charles Galton Darwin one quote from his book uh, and others too of, of the same milk, by the way, but he did say that the, the general population, same as Bertrand Russell, but this is that the general population won't have to make decisions since the state will be making all their decisions for them. And some people like that. Some people will like that all the way to their extermination. I'm not kidding you. If that, If it need be. That they're getting their lives managed for them. That is true socialism. You don't have to make a single decision. Some expert will make it for you. Some government agency will pop in and tell you what to do. That's terrible, that, but that's it's a fact. It's a fact. But then we don't have to long ago, really, since folk are really dropping in fertility, etc. Just by coincidence, of course, it all ties in with agenda. And, and you'll start dying off fast with all kinds of cancers galore, which is already happening. Coincidence, eh? But that's, that's how the world is really run, and it's planned. It's planned. You are given this, this fake idea that your, your vote means something, and you're in, somehow involved in, in the future. But in reality... You, the only right you have in democracy is, is the right to make a vote. And once the people get in, then they can do whatever they want. That, that's the law. And they do whatever they want because because their, their bosses have already told them what to do. And the bosses are not the people. Carl Quigley said, and, and interestingly enough, he said that this organization that picked all of the presidents up to, up to his day, that, that moment... In the 1960s, when he wrote his book, he said, it says they already have picked, for the last 60 years, had been picking the presidents of all parties, but they put the presidents in, and, and they can't fail. And you wonder why the same agenda goes, goes steamrolling ahead with one party after another in power. It's the same agenda. Now, I'm also putting up that uh, the actual PDF from the scientists who talk about the report on global warming and how they fudged all the data. It's quite a good report. It's professionally done and all the rest of it. It's got other doctors and physicists signing on to it as well. They don't agree with all this global warming nonsense. It doesn't matter because facts don't matter anymore when agendas are set by the masters of the world the ones who run it from the capstone. The capstone has all the money, and the, the complete science, the true religion at the top of the capstone by the priests there is, is called conology, that of the great con. They can run the world through paper money or whatever it happens to be. doesn't matter, or blips on a screen. 
and make it stretch as much as they want to make it stretch. Doesn't have to actually be there. I mean, if there's nothing tangible, how can it be there? Doesn't matter. But they make the agenda, and everybody else from governments all the way down follows suit. This particular PDF goes into the relevance of the research, the objective of the research, historical temperature data adjustment, adjustments to historical GAST, G-A-S-T, data, and the, 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 the GAST data validation, global average temperatures, surface versus satellite, and, and so on. And I've, it just reminds me of all the ones I've done years ago. As I say, facts don't matter, you understand, when the agenda is set in stone. Remember, this is to reduce everybody down to a poverty level. This down below a certain level, that's the majority of the public. Above that, they're safe, of course, the ones who help them and all, and they'll, they'll do their master's bidding, and they'll live awfully well, and they'll rationalize all to, to soothe their consciences, because they don't really have much of a conscience to soothe, actually. That's really how it is. But these, these uh, scientists go in to the fudging of the data again and again and again. We've had this for over many years, same kind of thing. Then we'll also go into, as I say, the, the, the ICEL, International Covenant on Environment and Development. That's a PDF as well from the United Nations. This, this is their charter, basically, for the, all of you to follow. And this is the fourth edition updated text, and they go through it all here, as I say. Environmental Law Program for the International Union for the Conservation of Nature and Natural Resources, in cooperation with the International Council of Environmental Law, a Council of Environmental Law, there you go, towards sustainable development. Now, that also means depopulation big time, and they're serious about it. Think about that. What do you need to live Whatever you need to live, they've really got organizations now in charge overseeing it all. And they're going to start reducing it and reducing it and, and reducing it. For all of you, but not for themselves, of course. That's, that's an amazing thing with all these, uh, these characters. They never do it themselves. It's always for you to follow. Quite some, isn't it? Also, I want to put up something I did before, it's 2016, article on how many scientific papers are simply not true. You should always remember, they're, they're always churning out what they call their factoids for the day. It's all rubbish and propaganda. But this article went through uh, some of this stuff. It says, how many scientific papers just aren't true? Enough that are basing government policy on peer-reviewed studies isn't all it's cracked up to be. In other words, they fudge everything for, for, the, for the politicians to sign at the time and it's things in your law. And then they're disproven after. It doesn't make any difference. They, they aren't going to change the laws. So we're continually assured that government policies are grounded in evidence, whether it's an anti-bullying program in Finland, an alcohol awareness initiative in Texas, or climate change responses around the globe. Science itself, we're told, is guiding our footsteps. But there's one problem. Science is in deep trouble. Last year, Richard Horton, editor of The Lancet, admitted that much of the scientific literature, perhaps half, may simply be untrue. In his words, science has taken a turn towards darkness. Medical research, psychology and economics are all in the grip of a reproducibility crisis. A pharmaceutical company attempting to confirm the findings of 53 landmark cancer studies was successful in only six instances, a failure rate of 89 in 2012, a psychology journal devoted an entire issue to reliability problems 
in that discipline with one essay titled, Why Science is Not Necessarily Self-Correcting. Likewise, in 2015, a report prepared for the Board of Governors of the U.S. Federal Reserve concluded that economics research is usually not replicable. (laughs) Its authors were able to verify the findings of only one-third of 67 pages published in reputable economic journals, as enlisting the help of the original researchers, the success rate rose to a still dismal 49%. Government policies can be considered evidence-based if the evidence on which they depend has been independently verified, yet the vast majority of academic research is never put to this test. Instead, something called peer review takes place when a research paper is submitted. Journals invite a couple of people to evaluate it. Known as referees, these individuals recommend that the the paper be published, modified, or rejected. It's all who knows who and all your friends, eh? It's a good article, though, and as I say, I've mentioned this before in previous years, but uh, it's always true. Most of the stuff, that you, when you, when you, even, even articles in the paper, but this latest drug, how good it is for pharma and, and, and how, how much it's going to revolutionize medicine. And then before you know it, before a year is out, it's just dropped from sight, it's dismal failure. It says, referees at the most prestigious journals have given the green light to research that was later found to be wholly fraudulent. Conversely, they've scoffed at work that went on to win Nobel Prizes. Richard Smith, former editor of British Medical Journal, describes peer review as a roulette wheel, a lottery, and a black box. He points out that an extensive body of research finds scant evidence that this vetting process accomplishes much at all. On the other hand, a mountain of scholarship has identified profound deficiencies. Quite some, eh? But that's that's fairly that's that's fairly that's common actually, you know. That's that's, that's from the spectator and I'll put all these articles up as you know, I always do that I read from. I'll put them up at cutting dot com and the links for you to peruse. It's good to save them because eventually things are really disappearing big time from the net. Have you noticed that? And I have seen me going for something that's really important a few years ago, and it's all scrubbed. It's all gone. Because they're constantly changing reality. Right? Constantly. Remember, too, you can buy the books and discs at com, or you can donate and help me take along here. Because believe you me, you'd be surprised how many folk, and, and the ones who are old, you, you know their voices very well, who are using uh, the data in the archive section at cuttingthroughmidies.com. Really, and I mean frequently. <laughs> but they never mention your name, of course, or my name. Never, never do. But anyway, I hope you're all doing well, and I really do keep in touch with the folk around the world and follow their lives as, as they interact with me. And it's interesting to, to have so much contact with such good people across the planet. From myself, Alan Watt, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>